Our text is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And that was the same that was in your Sunday school lessons today there in the upper divisions of the adults. And so <clears throat> all the adult classes and, and, and I think the teens use that as well. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Now let me say at the outset, I'm going to just get on it and go because I've got a lot of material I want to cover this morning. And because of that, uh, I'm going to be hitting it. But I'm also saying... Uh, in your bulletin each week, we put a blank sheet of paper that says past, uh, sermon notes. Write down those passages because I'm going to call them out and just go ahead and start reading them and, before you get to them. And so I hope that you'll do that. All right, our text is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, let's pray. Father, <clears throat> as we get into your message this morning, Father, that's your word. And I pray now that you would hide me behind the cross and exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Help us to get your mind on this thing in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now. The verses I just read have some very important commands in them, in these two verses. We're told to consider one another. Uh, and that is to think of a way in which you can bless one another spiritually. Okay, how you can spiritually bless one another. And so, we're told to do that. To consider one another. And the reason that we might provoke one another unto love and good work. Okay, provoke unto love and good works. That idea to provoke is to strongly, lovingly urge to do what is biblically right. Now, there are things that are due to right that are good for Christians to do, but they aren't necessarily biblical things, okay? It's, it's nice. You see paper on the, on the sidewalk, pick it up and throw it away. But there are other things that we do as Christians that we should do because we love the Lord Jesus Christ and it's in His Word. And so that's what we're seeing right here. We're to provoke unto love and good works. And then he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is. So the reason for that is that when we are faithful, we are being considerate of God. When we are not faithful, then we are inconsiderate of God of fellow believers, as well as of his house. And so we are to be faithful to God's house. Sunday morning, Sunday school, church, Sunday evening services, Wednesday night services. Now, some people say, I can't get out at night and drive. I understand that. Some people cannot get out at night, but you can watch it on the live stream, as many do. Now, but make sure that's not just a Sunday night and Wednesday night sickness, okay? I mean, if you can drive to a restaurant on Thursday night, Friday night, or some other night, probably you could do it on Sunday night and Wednesday night, okay? So I just want to make sure that, uh, that it's not a lame excuse. Some people cannot get out at night, but most can. Most can, or you can find a way to do that. And it's better to be in God's house, be an encouragement to those that are there with you. But then he says, as the manner of some is. And the idea is here that even in that day, there were people in the local churches that were not 
faithful. In other words, they'd be there, not there. Very spasmodic in their attendance. Just not as faithful as they should be. And, and that was a bad testimony. And so he says, not forsaking the uh, assembling of yourselves together as the matter of some is. And so, here we have a command to not only consider, but also to exhort, to strongly urge. And who are we to strongly urge? One another. That's simple. One another. And notice, it is exhorting. In other words, it's doing it over and over or doing it continually. And the reason we're doing that is because we see the day approaching. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon. And because of that, we are uh, to be exhorting one another. Now, what I'm going to do, as I said, I'm going to give you some passages of scriptures. I've preached sermons on those scriptures, so uh, I'm not going to preach all those sermons, or you'll be here till whenever, okay? <laughs> to about halfway through the rapture, probably. All right, so we won't go through all of that, but you can go to www.sermonaudio.com backslash or right slash, that line that leans to the right underneath the question mark on the keyboard, okay? Uh, I've heard different names for it, so I call it backslash, sometimes right slash, but it's there, it's a slash, all right? But uh, www.sermonaudio.com right slash Central Baptist. There's no break in that, you just make it all the way through that way. It'll take you to our website there. On that website, if you scroll down, you'll see sermons by speakers, sermons by Bible, and uh, sermons by... I think series. Well, if you'll cl- uh, click on the sermons by Bible, it'll bring up all the books of the Bible. And so, for an example, we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 2 here in just a moment. Well, you click on Ezekiel, it takes you chapter 30, uh, the book of Ezekiel, then you type in chapter 38. It'll take you there to all the sermons that I've preached there or, and others who preach from this pulpit and have been recorded here uh, that have preached from Ezekiel chapter 38. Those sermons will be there. So, that way you can know what was said in more detail from those passages. All right, and that's all I'm going to say about that. So the first passage is Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 2 through 6. And one of the things that tells us uh, that the day is approaching soon is the alignment of the nation. So we're going to look at that. He says, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn thee back, and put hooks into thy jaws, and will bring thee forth, and all thine uh, army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company, Uh, with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Tagarma of the north quarters and all his bands, and many people with thee. Now understand that in the Old Testament particularly, but as well as the New Testament, the Old Testament written in Hebrew, it used a picturesque language. And so if I would say his name is Jack, I might use something that would illustrate the Jack that you'd use to jack up a car. And we'd call that a Jack. So I might have a Jack say his name and point to the Jack. Okay, now in that day, they didn't have bombs. They didn't have rifles. They didn't have a lot of the things that we have. And so uh, they use language for an example, the spears, the swords, and all that. Well, they see pointed things, they see things. Well, you could see a guy with a rifle with a knife on the end of it and things of that nature. 
It's going to be great destruction, and it does accurately describe the destruction to be great. But now in this passage, he said Gog, that he was against Gog, the leader of Magog. Well, and he said he was the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. So understand this, Gog is the guy that is the head, the premier the prime minister, whatever you want to have, the top guy there. And, and then Magog is the land of Russia. You remember some of the older ones. Now, I don't know if they do this in schools today or not, but uh, us older ones that went through school and we had pencils, an old number two pencil. And if you look real closely at it, not only would you see a number two, but you'd see the word Magog written on a lot of them. And that was from that area in Russia, and that's why it was written there, okay? It was from there, from those trees there, and they were made from that. And so that's what that was, Magog. Meshach is Moscow, and Tubal is Tobolsk. Now, Tobolsk was at one time uh, considered to be the capital of Siberia. Archaeologists confirmed all these things down through the years, and that's why it is so clearly, it's not really something that you should question. Is Magog really Russia? Is Meshach really Moscow? That has been confirmed so many times that you don't even have to think about it. But now, back in 1909, C.I. Schofield, because of archaeology, historical records, said Magog is Russia. Meshach is Moscow and, and Tobolsk. And they laughed him to scorn. I mean, they just laughed him to scorn. They said, wait a minute. Here it is, 1909, and his notes to the Bible here has come out, and and he says that. Russia is a third-rate nation that has just been defeated by a little, no account, uh, island called Japan. And they said, uh, these dumb old Christians, you know, they just say these things. They have no idea what they're talking about. Well, now people don't say that so much anymore, do they? And by the way, don't we remember Schofield? I don't even know who said those other things about it. They just a lot of people were saying about it. We don't remember them today. They just attacked it as being dumb. But you see, the archaeology in everything involved is what has brought them to this conclusion. But those, that wasn't the only land. There was Persia. That is modern-day Iran, Iraq, it divided up in, I believe, it was 1932. But understand that uh, I think that there's more of an emphasis on Iraq. We'll find out more about that. But, it, but it's both of them together. Uh, Babylon, by the way, was located more in Iraq, not Iran. All right? And so we, we need to understand that as well. And then the surrounding areas, I, it could be, I don't know for sure of this, but it could be the Kurds. Then there's Ethiopia. That's Ethiopia. Libya is Libya. And then there is Gomer. Gomer Powell. No, 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 Gomer. That is actually Germany, Germany and his bands. And what would be his bands? Well, we have uh, su- surrounding Germany. We've got Denmark there. We've got Poland. We've got the Czech Republic. We've got Austria, not Australia, but Austria, uh, Switzerland, Belgium, Luxembourg, the Netherlands. I mean, all those are in that area. So the idea of them being with them, Germany and her bands, are Individuals from those areas that are marching with Germany, who's marching with Russia against Israel in the early part of the tribulation period. And then there is Togarma. Togarma is Turkey. 
And that's why I said Kurds could be the one group or they could be part of the Turkish group. They don't get along with either group, to be quite honest with you. And they, but the people with Turkey and talks about the remnants uh, that are with them. And that could include as well the uh, people of Jordan, Syria, Egypt, Lebanon, many people with thee. Why? Because uh, we're going to say later in this message about the Psalms 83 war that I think could take place even before the rapture, let alone after the rapture. And that sermon is also on uh, the, our internet as well. So again, I'm just saying that they're telling us here in the book of Ezekiel, okay, about, about 700 years before Christ, so 2,700 years ago, we're being told about these countries that will be coming together. Now, the question is, do we see these nations beginning to align? Well, they're beginning. They're more of a geopolitical alignment right now, but they are coming together. And it grows stronger each and every day. Well, this Russian coalition comes against Israel in the first part of the tribulation, and they are soundly defeated. Over five-sixths of the armies are killed. So it'll be a complete destruction. I believe the Antichrist, the world leader of that time, will move in and take credit for what God does. Now, a next uh, sign of that day is soon approaching, I believe, is the one world religion. We see that in Revelation chapter 17, verses 3 through 6 and verse 9. Again, we've preached on the, that and it's on the website. But in verse 3 of Revelation 17, he says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery of Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Then verse 9 says, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Now, the woman in verses 3 uh, through 6 there that I read from Revelation chapter 17 is, uh, is a very expensively dressed. I mean, she is li- she's living in a gated community, okay? <laughs> uh, that, that's a big deal anymore. But uh, so, so she, is, she is really very, very well-to-do. Rich, rich, rich. Super rich, okay? That's the idea there. But she has names uh, full of blasphemy. And she sits on a beast. That beast is the world leader, the Antichrist, who has these names full of blasphemy. And although they claim to be Christian and associated with this woman, they honor this woman from a religion that exalts her, and she is tied in with the governments. In other words, ambassadors go out from her to all these nations. The ten heads 
the, the, the seven heads and ten horns is a coalition of the nations from the old Roman Empire. Okay, and you'll find out more about that if you go and look at Daniel chapter 2 and uh, Daniel chapter 7 that's also on our website. But uh, they, they are having these uh, things with them. It is an ecumenical type of a movement. And what this woman does, she not only gets into the governments of the world, but she does not keep biblical doctrine pure at all, compromises with other religions by incorporating their pagan religious practices into their worship, depending on which country they are in. By the way, Israel did that in the Old Testament, started incorporating some of the world's religion into their worship, and God finally took their nation from them. So again, the Bible refers to this woman and the specific blasphemy that she is calling herself the Queen of Heaven. Now let me just say this so that there's no mistake. I believe it's talking about Rome. I believe it's talking about the Catholic Church. And I believe that when Mary, uh, every time she's called the Queen of Heaven, it just turns her stomach. She was a humble lady. And she she even called God her Savior. She didn't claim to be not needing a Savior. She said she needed a Savior. called God her Savior. Now, that's in the Bible. Now, you either got to say, well, the Bible is wrong and the church is right out there. Or you got to say, God is right and that, that church over there in Rome is wrong. But all these things line up that before there was a Roman Catholic church, these things were coming together. The religion of uh, Babylon, to the two Babylons by Hislop, if you want to read that, it's about 600 pages of fine print reading. But it's very well detailed and does a very good job with it. But it tells you how the religion moved from place to place to place and ended up in Rome. Much of the things that we see uh, are a result of that, okay? And so we're just pointing that out just to, for you to know that she has the blood of the martyrs on her hands. In the early years of Baptists, around A.D. 250, uh, Stephen of Rome, who was the uh, they didn't have a pope at that time, but he was the main bishop there. Uh, he kicked out all the Baptists, all those that believed in baptism after salvation. See, they had a baby baptism. They said, well, you baptize your baby, that saves its soul. And no, it doesn't. Now, if a baby dies, I, if it's not in that age of accountability, it'll go to heaven. Uh, David said, by the word of God, David said the baby would not come back to him, but he would go to it. David didn't go to hell. We know that by the word of God. Okay. And so David would go to him. Now, one of the things, though, they have put the blood of martyrs, uh, many martyrs to that. They, they would go around, they'd find Baptists baptizing, they'd put them to death. Uh, they tried to kill Luther. Uh, they They... We're out to do all of these things. One of the things that missionaries have told me, even in the 20th century, that they have had people come that they've led to the Lord that were coming to kill them because the local Catholic hierarchy sent them in that area because they were getting converts and souls were getting saved. So I'm just saying that that still goes on today and there's the blood of many martyrs on their hands. And it tells us her location there in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 17. She sits on seven mountains. We know 
that she is by the sea. In Revelation chapter 18, it mentions the fact that uh, all the merchants of the sea are really shook up because of this. She is completely destroyed in an hour, which sounds like a nuclear destruction. But in an hour, she is destroyed, which allows the Antichrist and his false prophet to take full control now. With their one world religion and their 666. Okay? The mark of the beast. It's not the mark of the church. It's not the mark of Rome. It's the mark of the beast. And some say, well, we think, we've been hearing people say that uh, it's going to be a Babylon coming back together. And Babylon is going to be the one, the old Babylon. No, not really. First of all, merchants like to have a sea where they can actually get their boats there. You'd have to travel 300 miles to get to Babylon on land. Ships just don't make it, okay? So that's one reason. Another reason is that it's surrounded by seven mountains. Now, there are other cities surrounded by seven mountains, but this one's very specific about who the person is and what's involved. And it says the sea. The sea. Most often in the Bible, when you see the word sea, it's referring to the Mediterranean Sea. Okay? So when you see that, when it says the sea, it's the Mediterranean Sea. Babylon is not on the Mediterranean Sea. Okay? So, again, uh, this is, she is spiritually called Babylon, and that spiritually is not a good thing. But the merchants of the uh, seas, the shipping and all that, they weep and wail for her. Why? Because they have suddenly, because of her control of economics around the world, have suddenly lost their trade. They have lost everything they had. And now they are in trouble uh, financially. Now, uh, some tried to ecumenicalize with the speaking in tongues movement. But that just didn't really make it. Others have done it with politics. And it's quite, quite interesting. Now, I believe that Christians should vote. I think they should be involved. I think they should be doing it. But look, I'm not going to hold a hand with a Mooney on one side and a Catholic on the other side and walk together. The Bible teaches against that. But I can stand. I can stand. Now, here's one of the problems, though. We're going to stand... For the Lord. And, and so here's a political movement. Let's just say they're all Catholics. Well, would you call Nancy Pelosi a conservative? No. But hey, our own Senator Rubio, our governor, DeSantis, they're Catholic. They're conservative. Okay. That's the idea to control, to get them in both areas of government that they might have control. That's the idea. So they've done that and they've worked on that in, in that respect. I believe that the greatest ecumenicalizing uh, tool that's been used is, because that I've seen it go around the world and I read so much on it, is the idea of the contemporary religious rock music. Uh, it's not just in what we call Christian churches or of that nature. It's also in Judaism. I've read of Muslims that use it. Hindus using it. And it's a unifying force when you try to get a one world religion. People who used to be fundamental, independent Baptists are doing the same thing. 
Does that tell you something? That tells you a lot. Okay. So again, Satan at one time, Ezekiel chapter 28, was in charge of heaven's music before his fall. He is also in charge of the jewelry. So that's why you never in the Bible, after Satan's fall, ever hear angels singing. They join in sang, but they don't sing. Now, it's not wrong to sing. Jesus sang. The people with him sang. But angels would not sing. They didn't want the association with Satan. You hear of Tinseltown. Okay, you think of everything evil, Tinseltown. Why? Because Satan was in charge of that. Again, uh, that's uh, just telling us what goes on there. And it is not right. Now, uh, one more passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. I better make this quick. Uh, in the last days, perilous times shall come. The perilous times of danger without being able to have a quick solution. For men shall have, be lovers of pleasures, uh, shall be lovers of themselves. Other words, we're in a selfie generation. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. They kick Jesus out of the school and the public fanfare. As well as the very... Many moral problems that are facing churches all across the world. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Is that not a very present description of society today? Without natural affection, that's talking about homosexual, that's talking about moving in and living together without marriage. Truth breakers, those that cheat on their marriage and false accusers, satanic Strategy. That's what Satan does. He accuses. He's the accuser of our brethren. And it's a shame when Christians start accusing fellow Christians. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. All religious, they claim to be a part of Jesus, but they must be entertained. And so this accurately describes today's contemporary movement. Having a form of godliness. But denying the power thereof. Why? Because the power of godliness is holiness. Be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This, again, is another sign of the days that we're living in of the ecumenical movement into religion. The Psalms 83 war. We're not going to read Psalms 83, but let me just say a couple things on, on that right now. Uh, I gave you nations. None of those nations that I gave you that are in the Russian coalition, that are down there near Israel, none of them are mentioned in Psalms 83. There are nations like Syria, uh, Lebanon, Egypt. They surround, and, and we preached on that. But I want to read you something I got just recently after I prepared the sermon. It was on uh, January the 4th out of the uh, Arut Sheba News, which is uh, something like what Fox News would be in, in this land, okay? It says, Islamic Jihad leader Zayed Nakahala this week confirmed that Iran has a plan to start a multiple front war against Israel. Well, in Tehran, where he met with Supreme Leader Ayatollah, Ali Khomeini and Iranian President Hassan Rouhani Nahakala told Alarm TV that the next confrontation with Israel would see fronts in the north and the south of the country. Right now we see everything happening from east and west. Now it's also north and south. Okay. Uh, he says, uh, Nahakala said adding that there will be Open channels of collaboration without any limitations or red lines. Each Israeli attack will be answered 
with a reaction from the entire axis of resistance. All forces will participate in it and will form a single axis. The Islamic Jihad leader bragged that uh, as he shouted the, the qualitative developments in the capabilities of the Palestinian resistance. Nakahala also revealed the entire axis would be working together and that this is a plan to struggle against the occupation. The Palestinian jihadists also hinted the resistance front still has attack tunnels which would be used in the next war against Israel and could lead to the defeat of Zionist project and its disappearance. Nakahala's uh, visit to Iran came after he went to Lebanon to meet with Hezbollah leaders Nassan Nazarallah. Uh, other indications of the so-called resistance front is preparing for war against Israel. And Khomeini promised the Islamic Jihad leader that the Palestinian Arabs would eventually establish a government in Tel Aviv and that by the grace of Allah, the uh, Palestinian nation's victory will take place in the very near future. Okay, now, they do a lot of things over there about threatening and all that, but this is something they've ordered. As a matter of fact, as America pulls out of Syria, you see just last night that Israel hit very hard some weapons uh, dumps the Iranians have near the airport in Syria. So that just tells you what's going on. But now, you have that going on there. These nations that are surrounding Israel directly, uh, their names are changed uh, when we... Read about them in Psalms 83, but it's still the same land area. They're so devastated so completely, I believe that, again, it could involve nuclear things. Uh, this gives the Antichrist a chance to move into the situation where he sets himself up in Israel. How would Israel allow this guy from the uh, European nations to come down there and do that? I believe that he's a Jew. I believe that he was of the tribe of Dan. As you read Genesis chapter 49. Again, that's another sermon that we've preached here. Now, let me give you this one final sign. It's in Revelation chapter 9, verses 14 through 21. It speaks of the kings of the east. 200,000, 000, which is a 200 million uh, soldier army. They're marching towards Israel at the end of the tribulation for about a, one year, one month, and one day, the Bible tells us, as they march. As they go, they kill the one-third of men. Well, what's the one-third of men? Well, they're in the 1040 window. Uh, and, and the major majority of the population of the world is in that area. And so as they march through there, they're killing, 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 killing. And mainly they're killing Islamics. Because, you see, they make trouble in those nations for the kings of the East even today. Communism. Uh, China's had problems with them. The others have had problems with them. And so they have. So who are all in the coalition of kings of the East? We're not told. We can only guess. But we do know they're marching towards Israel where they'll come to that day of the battle of Armageddon. Trying to eliminate Israel. America right now, we have troops in Syria. We have troops in Afghanistan. Uh, you know, I think if you make a, a treaty with somebody, you keep your word. But on the other hand, if you go into some place, I don't want us to send our boys and girls over there and just say we're going to try to maintain, not win. Okay, I think if you go into war, you better fight to win. Okay, and don't put our sons and daughters over there to get killed. 
that's just, that's me, but I think you go in to win. Okay, you go to win. If you have a treaty, you back up that treaty, but you don't back up the treaty and say, we're going to go in there and just maintain. No, you're going to go in there and win. Uh, that's what you have to do to have it right. So now, again, I'm just saying all of that to get to this point. All these things are prophecies. These are final signs of the day approaching. I'm trying to show that to you to get to this point. What am I to do as a Christian? Well, I need to be a witness. I need to be a witness. Uh, get tracks. You say, I'm not real sure how to present the plan of salvation. Read a tract to somebody. We've done that before. We've led soul, I've led souls to the Lord reading a tract. Know the Lord God and be faithful to all the services of, of his house. And, and by the way, get to know the Lord God through the word of God. Be faithful to the services because we teach the word of God here. If there are revival meetings, there's missions conferences, there are one-day services, there's, there's Bible study for a group here, a Bible study for a group there here at the church, go to it. Be faithful. If you're able to get there, go. And, and by the way, Quit having to be entertained in order to go to church. You've got to get out of the nursery and toddler stage spiritually. We're living in an evil day. Secondly, if you're not sure you're saved, you better get saved. You better make sure. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, it lets us know something. When Jesus comes back and raptures us, and we're caught up to be with him in the clouds to ever be with the Lord in the air. When, when we meet him there, those people that heard the gospel had a chance to be saved and rejected it. They won't be able to get saved in the tribulation. Now, I'm saying that because that's what the Bible tells us. In verses 9 through 11 of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because they receive not the love of the truth. That they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion. That they should believe a lie. They had the opportunity and they wouldn't accept it. You say well we live in America. Everybody knows about the way of salvation. No, no, no. I was living in Pensacola. Guy run for shepherd. As a matter of fact he won. But uh. I asked him, did he know if he died today, heaven was his home? He said, well, let me tell you what I told, uh, the last preacher told me that. He said, I told him I'd never left him. I said, well, that's not what I mean. And I went through the plan of salvation with him. He listened. When I got done, I says, now, do you know if you died, would you go to heaven today? And he says, no, I wouldn't. I said, wouldn't you like to ask the Lord to save you right now? He said, no. I said, well, why not? He says, if I do, I'll lose the election. Well, he won the election. I, I don't know what's happened. I've tried to visit him twice after that, and every time I get around him, he just kind of shake because he's afraid I was going to witness to him. I don't know what, why, but he just kind of shake. But he was uh, that way. But what I'm saying is this. There are people all over America that have heard the name of Jesus, but they don't know the way of salvation. That's why we are witnesses. Now, let me close it out by saying this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, those that do sexual sin of any kind, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, those that cheat on their marriage, nor effeminate, that's the homosexual, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Those are the ones that really get into all these way far out sexual things. 
for thieves, for covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers. That's the social drinking partying crowd. Nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. He said, boy, that includes quite a few people. But then he says, and such were some of you. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Romans 5.20 says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Those were some terrible sins that we just read about. But Jesus can save you and take that from you. But you come to him, giving him your heart and life. That is what we mean by repent. You're changing your mind. You're changing your life. You're turning from your sin. You're turning to him saying, Lord, I can't do anything about this sin. Take it from me. And I'm giving you myself. And he will do that.